This season of the Lexington podcast follows the tragic homicide of Savannah Spurlock. Scenes of violence, graphic descriptions, and adult content are detailed. Listener discretion advised. Hi, we're the Lexington Podcast. We are all things Lexington, Kentucky. History, true crime, current events, and local recommendations. Glad you're here, y'all. Police knew, knew David Sparks had something to do with the disappearance of Savannah Spurlock. But there wasn't enough evidence to charge him with anything. Yes, he was admittedly the last person to see her alive. Yes, he had some suspicious behavior right after her disappearance. But it wasn't enough. They had search warrants for his house and his parents' land and went many times to his parents' land in the hopes of finding some evidence that would shed some light on Savannah's whereabouts. Richmond police, in partnership with the Kentucky State Police, conducted multiple searches at David's parents' farm with cadaver dogs. Dogs trained in finding bodies. Nothing. No evidence of Savannah anywhere. Police were forced to treat this as a missing persons case, as the days, weeks, and eventually months went by without any trace of Savannah, they knew they were probably looking for a body. Savannah was a great mom. Everyone who knew her said that she would never abandon her children. And she had a cell phone, a bank card. She was also very active on social media. And all of those entities had zero activity after the night she went missing. It just wasn't like her. As is customary, police released this description in the hopes that someone would recognize her. Quote, Spurlock is five feet tall, 140 pounds, has brown eyes, shoulder length, brown blonde hair, and multiple tattoos. A tattoo on her left shoulder reads, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And a tattoo on her back that says, I'm her daughter. She also has piercings above her lip and on her ears. As the weeks went on, friends, family, and an army of local volunteers regularly held organized searches for Savannah. They went into some of the most rural parts of Garrett and Madison counties looking for her. They checked creeks and rivers, forests and farms. From the case file, quote, An intense ground search developed to include many areas of Garrett County and often included areas in Lincoln, Madison, Jessamine, and Boyle counties. The efforts were reinforced with the continued use of cadaver dogs, search and rescue teams, Kentucky State Police aircraft, drones, fire and police personnel, and volunteers. A Louisiana-based team called the Cajun Coast Search and Rescue Team, which is made up of volunteers and 13 specialized rescue dogs, lent their efforts to the search. They explained to a local paper that their process is to consult with police to find areas where there might be signals of a missing person, and then the team uses volunteers and specially trained dogs to track someone's smells obtained from clothing to find human remains. The team received an outpouring of offers of support from people in the area. Savannah's family posted a $15,000 reward for any information leading to her whereabouts. 
They set up tip boxes in the area. They hired their own private investigator, and they created a Facebook page dedicated to organizing search efforts and keeping the public informed about the latest updates on the case. In the meantime, police kept a close eye on David Sparks in March of that year. So just about two months after Savannah goes missing, David moves back into his parents' house, abandoning his own house, a house he lived in for only about four months. And I can't find anything that gives a reason for him moving back with his parents, but I figure he either really wanted to go back or maybe his parents really wanted him to move back because there was most likely a lot of heat on him at this point. But either way, it makes sense. You can tell he likes being in his parents' place. He feels comfortable there. I mean, in the days after Savannah's disappearance, surveillance footage shows him over at his parents' place multiple times a day. He still has a lot of his meals over there, and he takes naps over there. He hangs out over there a lot. Police interview his parents a few times, too, and they're more than cooperative with police. You can tell they're good people, very confused about the whole situation, very concerned, just trying to do the right thing. After David officially moves out, the police are able to forensically examine the house in more detail. Right after Savannah's disappearance in January, police obtained a search warrant and swabbed many suspicious blood spatter spots in various parts of David's house. And it takes two months to get the blood analysis back. But in March, quote, According to the Kentucky State Police Lab, when the swabs of blood spatter from the house on Price Court were compared to submitted standards of the Spurlock family, effectively creating a standard for Savannah Spurlock, there was no match. The results indicated an unknown female and an unknown male. Through Richmond Police Department's further investigation, we learned that blood spatter could have likely been that of the previous tenants in the house. After David officially moves out, though, in April of 2019, the landlord of the house allows police to more thoroughly examine the house again. So police were able to black out all the windows. So the chemiluminescent solution, which is called Blue Star, could be used more effectively. And when they received the results two months later, it confirmed their suspicions. There were several swabs of blood that matched Savannah inside David's house, including blood spatter from inside the bedroom closet door, David's backpack in the closet, and also on a blanket. From the case file, quote, the result of this analysis became particularly interesting because it directly contradicts statements made by David Sparks, who stated that Spurlock was not injured in any way while present at his residence. But finally, Three months later, some answers. On July 10th, 2019, six months after she went missing, at approximately 4.30 in the afternoon, detectives were contacted about a strong, foul odor coming from the ground located behind David's parents' residence. According to detectives, David's father had been working outside in the garden when he detected the foul odor coming out of the ground in his strawberry patch. At the same time that detectives arrived on scene at David's parents' house, David himself shows up to the Richmond Police Department. He locks his keys inside his own truck, walks into the Richmond Police Department, and says, I'm turning myself in. 
I need a public defender. He refuses to talk further and won't answer any questions by police. Meanwhile, as David is in custody, the evidence recovery team at David's parents' land locate a shallow, clandestine grave in the strawberry patch portion of the garden. Inside the shallow grave was a black industrial garbage bag buried three inches below the surface of the ground. There was a strong, foul odor coming from the shallow grave and from the contents of the black garbage bag. The garbage bag was partially opened by the recovery team, and inside of the bag they observed, quote, a human leg and foot still preserved with the flesh of Caucasian skin, along with a visible tattoo in the shape of a sun. The garbage bag containing the human remains was carefully removed from the shallow grave and secured inside of a body bag by the Garrett County coroner on scene. The remains were immediately identified as belonging to Savannah Spurlock. The body was sent to the Garrett County Medical Examiner's Office for an autopsy, and from Detective Shavies of the Kentucky State Police, who was present during the autopsy, quote, Upon opening the body bag, the remains were found located inside three layers of black plastic garbage bags, which were tied into a knot near the top. The body appeared to have been folded over in half so that the head and the arms were going the same direction as the legs and the feet. The feet were found to be bound together with what appears to be clear packing tape. In addition to the binding, a fluid-soaked accent rug was found adjacent to the rear of the body within or about the layers of the plastic bags. The accent rug was soaked with bodily fluid and stained. It appeared to be grayish in its original color. The body of the victim was found to be relatively intact, especially considering the victim had likely died six months prior. However, her right side or hip area had suffered serious decomposition. Swelling, drainage, and skin slippage had altered the natural appearance of the body and the face. Additionally, a sexual assault examination kit was completed and packaged by the medical examiner, who noted that the vaginal canal appeared to have decomposed significantly. The victim's blood alcohol level was 0.301 at the time of examination. And so the autopsy, I'll just say it, is frustrating. Not that Garrett County didn't do a great job, but it's frustrating that there aren't more answers. I mean, knowing how she died might have led us to know more about why she died. The medical examiner who conducted the autopsy officially ruled Savannah's cause of death as undetermined due to severe decomposition and makes this note on the report, quote, while no evidence of lethal trauma was found at autopsy, the advanced stage of decomposition, including likely animal and insect predation, might easily eliminate any such evidence. Despite finding no evidence of lethal trauma, the circumstances surrounding this individual's disappearance and the discovery of her body are suspicious. Based on the information available at the time of this report, a clear determination of cause and manner of death cannot be made. Should additional information become available at a later date, this opinion may change and the report may be amended. Detectives also make this distinction. A lack of evidence of injury, whether as a result of decompositional changes or otherwise, is not necessarily indicative or evidence that no injury or assault took place. 
It simply was not observed on the body. For example, strangulation, asphyxiation, and or smothering. One last important note on the autopsy, it should be noted that some people in the medical community believe that as a body deteriorates, whatever blood alcohol content it had at the time of death dissipates slowly as time goes on. And there's definitely conflicting views in the medical community about whether or not someone's blood alcohol level is actually accurate when testing remains. Even the doctor who performed Savannah's autopsy told police that due to the process of decomposition, it is likely that her level of blood alcohol is not accurate as the body produces ethanol or alcohol as part of decomposition. But if Savannah's blood alcohol was accurate or somewhat near accurate, then at the time of her death, she was over four times the legal limit in the state of Kentucky. She would have been at the stage of alcohol intoxication that experts consider to be coma, which is considered the level of surgical amnesia, onset of a coma, possibly of acute alcohol poisoning and death due to respiratory arrest is likely in 50% of drinkers who reach this level of intoxication. But remember, there would not have been blood spatter inside of David's house if she died from alcohol poisoning. On August 23, 2019, after consultation with the Commonwealth's attorney, detectives presented the case to the Garrett County Grand Jury. As a result, David Sparks was indicted for the murder of Savannah Spurlock. Almost two years later, David Sparks pleaded guilty to murder, abuse of a corpse, and tampering with physical evidence. He received a sentencing of 50 years in prison. Nothing about the process was easy for friends and family of Savannah, but what was highly frustrating, especially about the sentencing, was the fact that the sentencing itself took place at the height of the COVID pandemic. So his sentencing was over a Zoom. The judge, Savannah's family, even David, they're all in masks and they're all in different rooms on a Zoom call. And when you plead guilty to any crime, there's no trial. You're not required to make any sort of statement. When asked if he'd like to address the family in any way, David declined. He didn't say a word. He gave no reasoning, no apology, no response. In fact, no comments at all. And to this day, David has kept his silence. He's the only person alive who knows what happened that night. And he's not saying a word. Savannah's aunt had this to say about his sentencing, quote, I think he got off real easy and real cushy being behind a computer screen, behind a mask, not having to face the people that he devastated in person. This is a case that had really interesting themes throughout, and all of them are incredibly sad and eye-opening. Like the use of technology in this case. What does it say about our culture when technology, in all its infinite potential, was used to both catch a killer and also degrade the victim? I mean, there's no doubt that David's neighbor's ring camera helped police zero in on David as the murderer just hours after Savannah went missing. Street cameras caught him walking with her out of the bar. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Just 10, 15 years ago, that wouldn't have been possible. So no matter what your feelings are on Big Brother or whatever, as I write this, I'm glad we live in a world where people are watched at all times, every angle, all over the place. Because doesn't it mean that it catches those who need to be caught? 
and also deters those who might not want to get caught. And if you're not doing anything wrong, why would you care? Right? But that's the thing. As much as technology was the real hero in this case, it was also used to make the victim even more of a target in some ways. As an elder millennial, trust me, I think the universe all the time that my wild party days in my early 20s were at a time when taking compromising pictures of your friends and posting them online. That was not a thing. So, like I said earlier, I'm sure glad we've got all this technology to watch people at all times. It helps catch killers, right? But it also catches, and those of us who don't murder people, often at some of our most vulnerable moments. Being around middle schoolers for so long, hell, even with some of my own friends, I know that funny photos and videos that poke fun at others or catch others doing things, that's like a currency now. That's a power now. That's like a drug now. We're able to record others at their worst. And we all overwhelmingly like that. Social media apps like TikTok and Snapchat, they thrive on that. Posting people at their worst somehow gives us purpose and meaning. It's now the norm to have a ring camera to watch the goings-on of your neighbors. But it's also the norm to send a Snapchat of a red handprint on someone's butt who was completely passed out and helpless. And that's party culture? Or is that our culture? Is that us? And I guess that brings me to another theme of this case, and one that I think is the most despicable, which is the blatant victim-blaming and victim-shaming that Savannah, or rather her memory, has had to endure ever since her disappearance. Very soon after the media picked up this story and people started posting about it on websites like Facebook and YouTube, there was a very strong camp of people who would say things to the extent of, well, she went back with three guys, what do you expect? Or that's what happens when you drink too much and go home with strangers. Or bringing up the fact that she was a mother of four by the time she was 22 years old, as if that had absolutely anything to do with her murder or what led to her murder. People were so quick to judge her as a person and allow their narrow-minded opinions of her lifestyle choices to dictate how they felt about her murder. Her murder. As if a murder was somehow justified in some way because of what they thought about who she was as a person. Very few of us get to choose when we leave this world. But those of us who have to leave in such a heinous, violent, unforgivable way, don't they deserve our utmost love and compassion? Savannah Spurlock was a beloved daughter, sister, mother, and friend. And as Detective Phrase of the Richmond Police said, quote, she's a victim. She's 100% innocent. There was no part of this that was any of her fault. All that fault lays on one person, and that person is David Sparks. Johnny and I discuss this further right after this. It's, I think it's good to hear what you think about her autopsy. Well, sure. I mean, so, she, she might have died from just the alcohol poisoning. That's exactly. Get, get close. So 0.301% alcohol was her ethanol alcohol level whenever they tested her remains. And from all the research that I've done, remains slowly lose their toxicity. So 
her alcohol content was actually higher than 0.30. So just for our, our listeners reference, like 0.06 is what you're supposed to, you're not even supposed to be doing that driving. And 0.10 is like pretty wasted. And 0.30 is like quadruple the legal, like well over the legal you, limit. You probably aren't walking around. Absolutely. Which know, makes sense. I mean, you're passed out, if anything. Brian and Isaac had mentioned, you know, David's smacking her on the butt and she's not moving. He's oh, smacking yeah. her in the face and she's just stone cold out, yeah. out cold. Even Brian is quoted as saying she's like a dead stick. She said she's five foot. She's five foot. She's tiny, tiny. And she's drinking a lot of that crown apple. So there is something to be said for the fact that when you look up alcohol levels, 0.30 and above is when alcohol poisoning happens. Yeah. yeah, The the people die from that for sure. So accidentally, I gave some thought for just a split second to the idea that, did she die of alcohol poisoning? I like her going with that, you know. And then and he just freaked out. He freaked out. You know? And then He's already a strange fellow. Yeah. Lord knows how he would react to that. But like a normal person would immediately just like call the police and be like She's got a big she- red mark on her ass. Yeah. Oh, so maybe that doesn't look good. Oh, that's a really good point, Jonathan. You know what I mean? Scumbag male, cute little chick. That well, doesn't look good for the dude. I why mean, why tie her up though? Yeah. Was that post? Was that post mortem to help with the, the like moving the body? I believe so. Was, it, was a coroner able to, to keep in mind? It was pre mortem. Then that he's that does nothing to. I mean, if her legs were tied before, then it's a moot point. He's a piece of shit, right? But if it's post mortem, then maybe there was a reason. He's like she was got scared and had to move the body. But maybe this is all not good to say. I mean, none of it's good. It's a rabbit hole that maybe we shouldn't pursue. But well. I think the most frustrating part of this case is the fact that he pleads guilty, which means he is not legally obligated to defend himself, to say what happened, to say how she died, the way in which things happen, which it is such a catch 22 with family members. I'm sure because you have all of this closure of, okay, you admitted it. Now we have some closure that it's you, but but now we have a million questions as to like how and the why and the what happened. Like, so I bet they're still left wondering his reasonings with all of it. It's really strange that he wouldn't have at least pursued a lawyer that would have gone for, Hey, she died from alcohol poisoning. We can prove that through the coroner's report. And uh, we're, we're going to plead not guilty. Yeah. By, by reason of accidental death. And then maybe uh, charges with tampering with a corpse or something like that. Well, that's what they originally yeah. charged him with. They knew that they had him on that yeah. because they knew that they could keep him and hold him with tampering with the corpse and while the proceedings on how they were going to handle her actual death were going through. Yeah. So Maybe a jury just would never have bought that, you know, as far as she died from alcohol poisoning and I freaked out. Well, you have Brian and Isaac who are both leaving the house saying things like, should we have left her there? I mean, he really, really wanted to sleep with her. Like he was adamant. Um, David was very mad and frustrated by the fact that Savannah was not like available for that, so to speak. So I personally think he for sure had his way with her in some way, shape or form. And either it went wrong or she potentially died of alcohol poisoning and then he thought oh i need to like cover all of this up but also keep an or or he did something awful keep in mind he's got a rifle next to his bed he's got two little handguns in his nightstand he has multiple knives what was the cause of her death real fast i'm sorry so it or the cause of her death was undetermined she was in her the grave 
her this clandestine grave for six months to where the elements had like eaten away at a bunch of evidence. They knew it was her based on her tattoos and her dental records, Mm -hmm. but her vaginal cavity was not there anymore for them to be able to tell if there was any sort of sexual abuse. And the left side of her body was like eaten away by the elements. I guess that's the side that she was most likely like placed on. And it says right here, while no evidence of lethal trauma was found at autopsy, the state of advanced decomposition, including likely animal and insect predation, may easily eliminate any such evidence. Despite finding no evidence of lethal trauma, See, that the, part's weird, man. the circumstances surrounding this individual's appearance are suspicious. Large deficit in right side of torso, uncertain of etnology. Well, then why did he plead guilty, man? It seems like there's uh, plenty of good enough chances to try a jury. To if like really convincing lawyers like listen guys um m- this young man this young man who, has, who doesn't have a record who doesn't have a record um made a terrible choice to uh house this, to very, house this drunk very drunk girl, girl but there was no criminal intent to kill her you can't you, you won't be able to prove that charge us with tampering with the corpse because he freaked out why not do that you know unless him pleading guilty is like the nail in the coffin for, okay he just feels bad you kind of thing but it seems like he there's lots of things going for him in that case you know what I mean so. I if he's if he's pleading guilty, why not come clean about everything? Strange. It is. It is strange. It's strange. Why, why wouldn't you? His motivations are weird to 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 plead guilty and then not disclose all the facts of the case. Yeah. What would be the reasoning behind that? I think what happened is he moved back in with his parents, and this is a small town, and their family must have taken a lot of heat and a lot of speculation mm-hmm. on this. And I think from listening to his parents talk, and granted, it's just a couple hours of interviews, but they're good. Like small, wholesome wholesome people, salt of the earth, exactly. And what I what I bet you happen is that they were like, David, if you have anything to do with her, this just like you're gonna man up, you're gonna own up to this, and if we figure this out, this is the deal that we're striking right now is that this is this is wrong. And so when the dad finds and smells the body, at the exact same time, David is simultaneously turning himself into police. So I think the dad gave David heads up, like, I'm about to call the police. You need to go to the police. Last and, chance, buddy. Kind of yeah, thing. and you need to like do what we said, which is the right thing. Then why wouldn't David at that point disclose? You know, If, they, if the parents had said, you got to do the right thing, blah, 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 if that's the line of thought we're well, going down Well, maybe in, he thinks he doesn't owe the family anything. Like, Then he should have just pleaded not guilty. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's so silly to have one or the other. It's like... Yeah. If you plead, if you pled guilty, then give the closure. You know, if you, you know, it, or else we could go to trial and it could have a ton of evidence come to light. The trial can help the family get closure because the police will provide all that explanation after a long, lengthy investigation. Guilty is just like done. Mm-hmm. I did it, even though there's lots of things to that are still a huge mystery. You know. Well, let's not like for- you said. I bet the family's pissed about like, man. I wish we had more closure on her final moments and like what was in it kind of thing. You know, I wish mm-hmm. we had a little bit more detail, uh, David. Well, let's also not forget that his letter was very telling as to the fact that he claims that he he hopes that his mother isn't upset about being related to her mothering spawning a psychopath, uh, spawning a psychopath who would plunge a knife into a person's chest and then smile about I it. I gotta tell you though, for for um, cringy middle school type letters go, <laughs> it's pretty common. 
You know what I'm saying? You think so? Yeah, it, it's 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 banal almost. Like it's like we've all written one goofy little angsty. Yeah, you, you said this last episode. How much like weirdo poetry, psycho poetry did you write when you were younger? I have not written a single one, but I just I knew plenty of friends. Like I mean, friends in Aegis English that would read their cringy psycho poetry out <laughs> as, as if it advanced was a, English. As if it wasn't advancing. Did, weren't you just like in I don't know like AP English? I wasn't like Aegis English. I wasn't right? even an AP. <laughs> but but the point is is like I don't know. Some people would would not find that too alarming. I, I think a lot of people wouldn't find that too alarming. It's This is conjecture. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So you have to really... Then let's let's lock up every idiot little poet out there or someone that's depressed and writes a, yeah, writes a note. You know but I mean? It doesn't look good, but it's not evidence for anything. But those idiot you know, teenagers also didn't have somebody go missing from their house. True talk, true talk. The but, day after they've like written but, this but, or you know, whatever. I hate to take this point of view, but like, what evidence is there that he killed her? I mean, well, besides the, how else did she wind up on his parents' farm? Oh, we we, we already know that the other two guys brought brought him there, right? Uh, no. Yeah, Brian and Chad. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the worst names all, ever. <laughs> you're getting so mixed up on this. Isaac and and Brian leave that night. Yeah, I thought I thought they went to David's though. Hell no. I mean, no, they went to David's, but they s- definitely because they left her at David's and they felt bad about that. That was a that's a piece. Of the yeah, puzzle, but right? they left and went back to Lexington. And then David took her. David put her in his car and drove him all the way out to the farm. David put her in three black garbage bags, basically. He took black garbage bags, three layers of No, no, of but the, like where she died was where Brian and Isaac left her. With. Correct. Yeah, so, you know. You're saying that there could have been a case for like, I'm oh, saying, Brian I'm and Isaac helped you move the body to your parents' farm? There's lots of juicy things like that that could be the case, but the point is, is like, I wonder how... If if he hadn't have, if he had pled not guilty, I wonder how the police and the prosecutor would have proven would have handled criminal it. intent to kill her. Yeah, because at first glance on paper, it looks like alcohol poisoning. Maybe she choked on her vomit because she wasn't in the right place to be able to go like that. You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But um, instead, he just pleads guilty, and then and then is radio silence afterwards. The the weirdest thing you can do. Oh, you yeah. felt a bunch of guilt after your little psycho letter and stuff. Uh huh. Like, huh? It was so strange. It really is. But. Let's not also forget that he wrapped her up in what was also found in the bags were the little gray accent rug that he called his sister about. So this is what I think happened. Yeah. I've given a lot of thought to... Yeah, what exactly happened to that poor girl? Here's here's my theory, okay? Brian and Isaac leave. They go home. They have absolutely nothing to do with this. David goes back into the bedroom to be with Savannah and he rapes Savannah, is what I think. And then he gets himself... She either comes to enough to realize what's happening and be like, no, stop. And that pisses him off. And so there's a bit more of like some rage that happens. It was more of like a fit of... Crime of passion. He, he, saw, he saw red. Yeah, yeah, saw red with it. And we already know that he has these psychopathic hom- homicidal tendencies. He feels that way. He wrote that down. Even when he's caught months later in jail where he knows anything could be confiscated, he's drawing topless women bound together smiling buxom women like with very big boobs so like this guy is he's into bondage right so he either or she just stayed completely you know lifeless this whole time because she's still completely out of it and then he just was like oh man this is my chance to get to act this out remember 
David never had a chance to be around women too much. He had his heart broken just a few months before, which let me just tell our listeners about this little part. There was um, six or seven months before, up, up to a year, actually, there was a girl who David was in love with, and this girl goes to prison for drugs. Before she goes to prison for drugs, she has a child who's probably about a toddler about the time that she's caught and locked up. David takes this child, a a son, this boy, and takes him to go see the mom twice a week, multiple times a month, doing her a favor because he's in love with her. And he kind of assumes this role of being like the dad, even though he's not the dad of this kid. Mm. He gets so into this, he into this, you know, being this good guy, doing this thing for her, which kind of shows a lot of, I don't know, um, what would be the word there? Uh, not, not psychopathic. Type yeah. Of stuff. Like yeah. wholesome. Wants to be a dad. Yeah. Wants and to- like is taking responsibility for something when he didn't have to. Yeah. She appreciates it. Of course she gets out of prison. And I know all of this because the police interviewed her and the interview is a part of the case file. Mm. And as she's being interviewed, she has nothing but the nicest things to say about David. She thinks that he has absolutely nothing to do with the Savannah stuff. She can't believe that he's being suspect. a suspect in this at all. And But she mentions like, you know, I did break his heart. As soon as I got out of prison, I got back together with my son's father, real father, even though David had tattooed this kid's name on his body. He was so into it. And then it had to have been really, really difficult obviously to deal with that and to feel like you've been you've been betrayed by a woman therefore maybe all women like women aren't you know something to be trusted there's something to you know they're they're disposable etc he claims whenever he's being interviewed david claims that oh i i see that you found this weird journal entry from me let me explain that i was going through a lot with this other girl who broke my heart and went back with the dad the kid's dad Mm. and that's the reason why i wrote this but when you reread the journal entry it doesn't read that way it doesn't yeah i've read it i've read it now it really doesn't it doesn't read like my heart was broken how could you there's no specifics of a person or anything like that right it's very general it is very general but i think that that's really important to keep in mind too i mean it was definitely left in the case file for a reason i don't know whether to make him more human or give him more of a reasoning or backstory and definitely just to have evidence for a prosecutor yeah, it even would. though it's hardcore conjecture, it still like looks looks bad. Yeah, you know? to a jury, it doesn't look good. Yeah. Right? So all that is to say, I think he thinks to himself, "I'm going because there's no blood, as far as I know, that's not a part of the case. There's no blood in his bed at all. And the one thing we know about beds is that they're very porous. Yeah." Totally. Everything about the fibers of cloth is yeah. going to latch on to blood. And I think he must know this. Remember, the little rug was obviously on the floor next to his bed. Mm-hmm. I think he takes her down off of the bed and he stabs her on the floor is what I think. Because he was known for being a knife guy. Brian even says this. Brian says, oh, my God, he had over 100 knives. He loved knives. And any anytime he went out and about, he had a knife on him. Hmm. He lo- And, and he, there were multiple knives found in his nightstand. Hunting knives, giant ones, all hmm. the way to, like, little tiny pocket knives. I th- And then the 
actual journal entry mentions, you know, to stab somebody in the chest and smile right, about it. I right. mean, and he and he's a hunter. He's used to like dealing with like meat and stuff. Hmm. I think he stabbed her. And then, but the coroner never said that, though, right? It was no, the coroner never said that. But the but there's could have been though, could have been, and there's parts of her body that were so decomposed that it could have been, and they wouldn't have been able to tell gotcha. or known. Okay. Hmm. And so I think he wrapped her up in that had to, had to use the little rug. rug, and then put her inside of three layers of trash bags. Yeah, and then somehow this is so this is something we should talk about. Mm. Somehow he takes all of these he takes her in three layers of trash bags buries her out on her parents lawn and they don't find her they bring cadaver dogs out there they bring the police out there even detective phrase from the richmond police department is quoted saying i felt like it was such a i feel such a tragedy about the fact that we I, i still think about this whenever i think about savannah i stood on that strawberry patch And for months and nobody could. So I don't know if it's, he sealed it up really well and that somehow was did not, but it's a dog. Dogs can smell anything. So how is this possible? Maybe he's like buried her crazy deep. He wasn't, it was only three inches below ground. What I think it had to do with is the fact that it was so cold. So this was January and February when they were doing these searches. Mess up the dog's scent. It, absolutely. You know, just like when you refrigerate anything, it preserves it. Yeah, you You're not going to smell, smell it. it. Yeah. So. Huh. That sucks. <laughs> I know. Poor Savannah's family. I know. It could have been a lot easier for them, you know. And, and we would have way more. The, the corner would know, would tell us a lot more. Yeah. Shucks, Richmond police. That not is. Their fault. That, actually, John, that's a really good point because this whole time I was kind of like, Man, this looks doesn't look good for you. Like this does not. I mean, it, I'm sure it was an honest mistake. They weren't not trying to find her. Yeah. But it, it had to have been embarrassing on some level for the Richmond Police Department. Imagine if he hadn't pled guilty. Exactly. And, like, and had himself a good lawyer. That part of it could have blown the whole thing. If they, if the coroner was like, "It's undisclosed. We don't know how she she died." Oh my God! The prosecutor goes, "No." Or you know, about April or May, as it's starting to warm up, he moves the body yeah, uh-huh. somewhere where they've already searched way off somewhere else. Totally. And then we would still be wondering, and he would still be set free. So I'm glad. I mean, the only it really comes down to like his dad, really his yeah. own father, yeah. saved the day. Pretty cool, honestly. It is. I mean, it's what a heavy, incredible thing to have done to your son. Yeah, to turn your, your own son your flesh in. and blood. Mm-hmm. I think we, we talked about this before. His honor was bigger than his, you know, devotion to his baby boy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe he had known before though that my son's a little bit of a creep. Yeah, you know, he's like all this bonded stuff and knives and yeah, worrisome stuff. All dads know their son's secrets because yeah, they or maybe so long. Like, you know what I'm saying? He could be capable of that or something. Is yeah. what he's thinking. Yeah. But then again, there's so many dads that he's like, you know, I don't care. Yeah. I'll, I'll, do that. No matter, I'll, I'll help you bury the body. No matter what, I'm not going to yeah. give up my Family son. Family matters yeah. more than He didn't mean it. Yeah. We're just having fun here, he has, right? We're just he, boys will be born. He here. had a reason. Blood is thicker than water. Exactly. You have to stand by your family. That was not David's dad. No. Which should be applauded. I think so, too. Yeah. But Honor. it had to have been really tough, though. I bet it's tough to this day for him. Savannah's family has put together a Facebook page honoring her memory and also using it for updates about other missing persons in Kentucky. If you'd like to join to keep Savannah's memory alive, it is called Remembering Savannah on Facebook. With these episodes of the Lexington podcast, we honor Savannah, her memory, and her boys, who she loved so much. 
The Lexington Podcast is written, edited, and produced by Erica Fries and Jonathan O'Hare in association with Freeze Media. If you'd like to get a hold of us, feel free to DM us on Instagram. We are Lexington Podcast on Instagram, or feel free to email us at lexingtonpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to our sources this week, including Crime Stoppers, Lex 18, and police files provided by the Kentucky State Police. Next week, we'll be discussing vampire cults in Kentucky and how we feel about all things Railbird. See you then.